They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. Matthew, this week we get introduced to a whole bunch of people that we never met before and will probably never see again. Superboy number 212, Last Fight for a Legionnaire. Published October 1975. Written by Jim Shooter with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis. Is a hero more than just their powers? It is the last fight for a legionnaire, Matthew. The last fight. That means someone's going to die. That's what it always well. means when the, especially when your when your opening panel opens up on uh, Nolan Plaza, named after a Pharaoh lad, and you got the big giant statue of Pharaoh lad. That's called foreshadowing, Matthew. That's your key to good literature. I think you may be thinking of the X Men, um, because just because something important is going to happen doesn't mean somebody's going to die. In the it's league. comic books. It means somebody gonna die. Not in 1975. That starts in the 80s. People don't start to die in comics until about okay, so we've had so. we've had uh, uh, Pharaoh Lad has died. We've yep, had Invisible uh, Kid. NRG has died. Invisible NRG Kid did not die. Yeah, he did. He blowed up real good because he that had that not... one. He had that one power, and then he blowed up real good. And Invisible yeah, I've Kid, seen the Daffy Duck cartoon too. I know. How Invisible crazy. Kid died. Karate Kid, or no? What? Uh, who were the two that? Uh, who were the clones that we just saw in the last episode? Was that Invisible Kid? That and, was Pharaoh Lad and, two and Lad. Invisible okay. Kid too. And I don't think they should count because you literally just counted Pharaoh Lad. Yeah, no, and no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying I'm trying to think of who else has died, uh, but then has come back in some mysterious way. At this, this point in time, it is Pharaoh Lad and Invisible Kid. And uh, Wildfire, who blew up and then came back. I don't know if you can count that as dying. I mean, the Legion treated it as dying, but it was a Carrie Bates story. I mean, uh, MacGuffining for sure. So anyway, it's it's tryout day at the Legion of Superheroes. And as we see (laughs) on every tryout day, you're going to have some winners. Not this issue. And then you're going to have some losers. A lot of them in this issue. And the biggest loser of them all is the boy we call Magno Lad. Also known, known as Court Grease. You know, Grease as in Greasy as he's not a nice person because he's all greasy. No, Grease is the word. Yeah. It's got groove. It's got meaning. Magno Lad so upset that he wants to have revenge because he has the same powers as Cosmic Boy. Yes. And he's also... A star Olympic Magna Ball champion. Why shouldn't he get into the Legion of Superheroes? Yet Cosmic Boy, a guy who washed out of the Magna Ball League, why does he get to be the leader of this group or whoever's the this president is, this week? This is actually an interesting story because all six of well, he immediately is met by Esperlass yeah, and let's, four so here's, other. Yeah, so here's checks. all the here's all the the maniacs that we meet. We meet mm-hmm. Esper Lass, a.k.a. Meta Ulnor. Gesundheit. We get Phantom Lad, a.k.a. Solandarga. Sounds like a Star Wars. Sounds like a Star Wars bounty hunter. <laughs> we have Micro Lad, Lalo Muldron. 
as played by David Duchovny in The X-Files. <laughs> and we have the new chameleon kid played by Tug Lintels or Lintons. I love Tug Lintons. Every Christmas we get a bunch of Tug Lintons and we just eat them around the tree. And then there's also Calorie Queen, a.k.a. Taryn Loy. And then later in the episode, we get to meet Super Budinsky, a.k.a. Superboy. Don't be that guy. <laughs> Out of the way, Super yes. Budinsky. So, the six Magno Lad joins immediately the Legion of Super Rejects, and the six members of the Legion of Super Rejects come from the home planets of Legionnaires who have been established as all having the same power. Everyone on their planet has the same power. The Bralians right. are magnetic. Right. The Imskians can shrink. The Saturnians uh, uh, have Saturnians, mental powers. The Titanians are, are, are telepathic. The Durlins can shapeshift. Yeah. The bug Tuzzleans can all turn uh, phantomizing. Yeah. Yep. So here's the, and then of course you've got all the people from uh, Matter Eater Lads uh, planet who just uh, have, have uh, atomic guts and their atomic guts. The Bismolians can eat anything. Can eat anything because they have to power their atomic tummies. So, but here's a really good question. So there's two, mm -hmm. there's actually two big things that um, stand out as a problem as this issue begins. Okay. Uh, the first one is why are they not accepted into the Legion of Substitute Heroes? Well, it's a good question, right? Because they, they... they were rejected. And so they could have, they should have gotten what they should have gotten their flight belt and they should have gotten their little certificate which all they have to do is go to the old Legion clubhouse, which is now the headquarters of the Legion of uh, Substitute Heroes. As of last issue, yeah. Yeah, and they could have, they should have been members of the Substitute League. Well, there are three answers to that. There's the in-universe, the out-of-universe, and the real answer. Well, so in-universe. Mm -hmm. In-universe, uh, these Legionnaires, these super rejects, would not have accepted sub membership because at this point the subs are transitioning from a actual thing to a running gag as we saw last issue the subs are like yeah we'll totally live in this wreck thing and it's not too far down the line that every substitute hero's appearance starts to become comedic entirely ridiculous so i do not believe that any of these characters would accept membership in the legion of substitute heroes even, even if, as a secondary prize even with night girl in the in the legion of substitute heroes hubba hubba more on that later even with night girl because you'll note that all of these people are just as super naked as can be with the exception of micro lad um because it's the micro legion yeah, and if you don't have I mean, if you don't have cutouts and low cut tops and no legs on, clearly you're not drawn by micro. You know, so I'm I'm trying to look and see, okay, where could he have drawn inspiration for these costumes? Because these people are running around with a lot less clothes than Timberwolf or Karate Kid or Saturn Girl. Um, well, maybe not Saturn Girl, but I mean they pretty much running around naked. And uh there's nothing wrong with that. Except right. I'm trying to figure out where these costumes are inspired from. So we have Vampirella comes out in what, 68, 69. We have Barbarella. We have Barbarella coming out in 68. We have Logan's Run coming out in 76. So in a year from, from the publishing of this issue. And we're starting to slide into that late 60s, early 70s, weird, sexy costume stuff that you might see <laughs> at a Club 54 or something like that. Or that you would see in a... Um, I don't want to say uh, a, a dirty movie because you don't have a lot of those that are floating around with that have a high production value. But certainly right. in in a lot of the um, uh, men's magazines, you might see some costumes like this or people going out on the uh, disco 
town. Uh, I was trying to see when disco officially became a thing. Uh, looks like 77, maybe. So, you know, we're, we're starting to slide into that era of, you know, open sexuality, um, feeling, you know, whatever goes, goes. Um, and plus costumes are pretty much skin tight anyway. So maybe it doesn't matter that they are wearing spray on clothing. Um, it's just, it's a weird observation to go from. And again, I know for comic readers, this would have been over the course of three or four years that we see these costumes slowly start to uh, change or in, in the case here, probably a year and a half as we went from the first introduction of the new costumes. Um, but I mean, uh, for someone reading this back to back to back, it's almost like you flip the page and suddenly everyone has discovered uh, their sexuality and are willing to flaunt it uh, in the face of of everyone. Well, I think part of it is, you know, the sexual revolution, which kind of started in the 60s and really was peaking in the mid 70s, kind of, you know, tapered off as disco ended at the mm-hmm, end of the 70s. Mm-hmm. But you're at a point where, first of all, future means tight clothing and weird stuff. You have to look at the influence of William Teese on Star Trek. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You remember half of those costumes. And yeah. I feel like the Legionnaires have been getting sexier and sexier probably since maybe just before the Superboy transition. Uh, but before Cockrum, we had a very sexy Legion and things started getting more and more sexy because the Legion fans are aging with the title. Right. You know, not necessarily to the point where somebody would have been reading the book in 1961, but I think a lot of the kids reading this book in the 15 to 16 year range have probably been reading the Legion for several months. And Mm -hmm. frankly, some of these costumes are great. Calorie Queen's costume with the flare pants and the bikini top and the cutouts and the, the face paint. It is like pure. This is the perfect synthesis of Mike Grell costume design. Mm. It is it's gorgeous. I here's, love it. Here's the thing. The the cutout I stuff on the it. legs work, I think, works a lot better on um, uh, Phantom, Phantom, Girl. Phantom Girl, right? But, and I don't know if John Romita ever gave credit to Mark, Mike Grell for um, stealing the Dazzler look. Because that's essentially what Calorie Queen is, is a Dazzler with a little bit more, a little less clothes on. Uh, I, I can definitely see it in the face paint. I don't necessarily see it anywhere else except maybe the flares. Yeah. And it's the seventies. The flares mm-hmm. are the in thing right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So going back know. to, going back to the wise, we're, we're done with the costumes, I think, mm-hmm. uh, except for the guys, you know, they're all wearing uh wrestling leotards. <laughs> what's the out of, so what's the, what's the other one? You said in continuity reasons, they yep. never wanted to be apart. And then the second right. one is what? The out-of-universe reasoning is simple, and it's uh, because when you have these characters, they are evil, and they're designed to be villains, and so they're treated from their first appearance as villains. You can see it in just the, the look on Microlad's face is a cruel face. He has that evil look in his eye. These are all characters designed to be antagonists. So if we were to even bring up the idea of they could have joined the substitute heroes, probably the best you would have gotten would have been an in-character, no, they are Phoebes. And then, yeah. of course, there's the real reason. Mm-hmm. Jim Shooter forgot about the substitute legion. You think that's what it that is? is the- that is the real reason. I, I mean, one one issue later, he forgets that the Legion exists. I believe. 
and this is, you know, this is entirely me talking. I believe that yes, they're like, oh, they didn't even even, even though there is a, even though there is a Legion of Substitute Heroes story that comes up right after this one. There is a character from the Legion of Substitute Heroes in the next story. Yeah, I will grant you that. But I firmly believe that Shooter was putting this tale together and went, yeah, fine. Okay, so here is a a more uh, important question that should probably be asked. When you do have a bunch of uh, people that have similar powers, like the ones that we have just mentioned here, why hasn't the United Planets formed... um, like a franchise, a Legion franchise, where, yes, this section of the universe is going to be guarded by uh, Legion of Superheroes Prime. Then you have the uh, Shecky's uh, Legion of Superheroes out there in Quadrant 6. And then maybe right. you have another one. And then you could really... The B-Squad. Yeah, you, well, I wouldn't say B-Squad, but it's, you know, how uh, Green Lanterns uh, have a sector of space. Why right. couldn't you... And I don't want to say build up a military branch because that's what one of the villains was trying to do a couple of uh, episodes ago. But right. why couldn't you get some of these people to form a different version of the Legion of Superheroes and their area of expertise is in that one quadrant of the galaxy or universe or whatever that they're defining as space uh, in this week's issue? It, that's actually a good question and a very good point. And the answer is simple. Comic book writers have no sense of scale. The idea that even a team of this size, you know, 20, at this point, 22 superheroes, uh-huh. if you count the people in, 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 you know, reserve status, that's a huge team in comic book terms. If you're trying to protect the entire universe, that's nothing. That's puny. But we also see things like, you know, Superboy crossing interstellar distances in seconds, like the Legion traveling from planet to planet at what doesn't seem to be superliminal speed, but getting there five minutes ago. You know, it's like the ongoing complaint that you have about time travel doesn't work that way. Yeah. The answer to that is time travel is a made up thing. It works however they want it to work. But also the reason that it works the way that it works and the reason that the Legionnaires don't, you know, spread out like this is because whoever is writing this at this point, shooter, but previously it could have been Bates. And before that, you know, it could have been Edwin Hamilton. I don't know. Whoever is writing this isn't thinking in terms of the Legion has to cover the whole universe. They're thinking of how do I fill 15 pages and, you know, not make the artist hate me with 27 different characters. So I get it. I think that's actually a really good idea. And we've seen it in later Legion stories with, you know, things like the reserve teams or when the subs come back in volume four, even uh, the Earth 247, the reboot Legion has several different attempts to put together like a farm team or a mm-hmm. training squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they never last, but they're always an interesting idea. And it's always a good question. My question is if you're cosmic boy yeah, and Braille has set you to be in the Legion, but Magno lad shows up and you know, old court is better with his powers and more useful than you. Does that mean that Braille could say, you're no longer my legionnaire? I mean, if you're looking at it as these are representatives of the uh, of the individual the planets UK, or yeah. systems or whatever, then, yeah, you know, you could have something like that. And that is something that I'm also surprised that has never uh, come up. But I think that, you know, that, uh, that comes up later. That's how uh, Spark joins in yeah. the Legion pre the reboot. But I think uh, the what are they? The Brillians, the Brawlians. Brilliant. They would be sitting there uh, saying, you know what? He's doing a pretty good job. I think we keep him in there and let's uh, let's uh, send a good old court around as part of the uh, the goodwill games 
because mm-hmm. uh, we got to bring home that Magno Ball uh, uh, trophy this year. So maybe well, that's and- what they're thinking. This issue does bring up, the, the conflict in this issue specifically, brings up an important point about the Legion Constitution, and specifically the no-duplicate powers rule. Oh, except for Superboy and Supergirl, because they're special. They are special, and I see how they are special. I mean, Superboy is kind of, you know, the team mascot. They went back in time to specifically <laughs> Shrek him supposed and, to be Brody and too. let him in anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and Supergirl kind of gets in on, you know, the the nepotism gambit. But the thing about it, and this is an important thing to remember about the no powers rule, among all of the weird, inexplicable, senseless things that the Legion do, the no powers rule, the no duplicate powers rule is the dumbest. It's dumb. It's a ridiculous idea. It's something that somebody stuck with because it had it was a meaningful little plot hook in that story where lightning last showed up the no superpowers no duplicate superpowers rule basically gave us something to play with that somebody threw in there that became part of the legion because it was important it became dramatically important then we had you know dream girl changing well, lightning glasses powers and all these silly moments they kind of do bring it up here in this issue in that uh, they want to make sure that they don't have too many of the duplicate powers uh, for diversification reasons. And it seems like right. if you go back to, uh, you know, Bender, when he was first uh, creating this and being a forward thinker in himself. Yeah. Having just one on one kind of does keep everything um, equal. Right. It could be a boy. Right. It could be a girl who is representing this. But because you have so many different people, unfortunately, they're still all white, mostly. Uh, well, no, in fact, right now they're all white except for um, Brainiac and Chameleon Boy. Um, uh, yeah, Shadow Lass is blue. Yeah, uh, it really, it really, you know, I think that they're trying to promote diversification even in their, even in their whiteness that they still have here. So I can kind of see that because, you know, w- w- why not just fill up the entire team with Magno Ball players? Why not, why, why not have them be the entire Legion? Um, right. You know, why not have, uh, what, what, who's the one that uh, changes his power? Ultra Boy. Why not? Why not have a whole team of Ultra Boys? I mean, his powers are not, uh, they're created. Yeah, they're not replicable. But, you know, why not do that? Uh, You know, so I think this one power, one item is not a bad thing. But I also think that the they should have franchised out uh, this. I also was very surprised in this issue of some of the words that are starting to appear. Words like bull, you know, instead of, uh, you know, instead of bull hockey or the bull, bull S word. Uh, right. that at one point they're like, bull, this is no reason. We don't want to hear any of this. And it's like, oh, that's a little bit more mature language. Um, and I know a lot of people would just dismiss this as nothing, but when you have the, you go from, oh gosh, golly gee to bull, that's pretty abrupt. And that's pretty intense, uh, to do language like that. And I know we're starting to slip out of comic code authority, um, absolute iron fist control of the comic book industry. But even right. that word was a little bit surprising to see in the comic. It is. And I feel like it goes along with the sexy, sexy costumes. Yeah. Uh, I think it is, in this case, uh, a couple of youngish creators trying to appeal to slightly older readers than the Legion has tried to. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you really look at what does it mean that they can get away with Calorie Queen running around in a bikini top and cut out flares, it kind of means that people aren't taking these stories as for eight-year-olds anymore so you can get away with a little bit more not necessarily 
language language, but a little bit, you know, the bull or the how dare you or the ah, ha, ha, ha. Uh, There was another one, I think, coming up in the next issue, which is kind of the same the same way that they use a a word or a phrase. Oh, there's, I'll, I'll talk about it in the next story in this issue, in fact, um, yeah. where it just gets a little bit. Oh, it's a little bit weird. Also, it just is. because they're trying to age things up doesn't mean that the issue isn't incredibly sexist when they have comments like boys are better than girls. Yeah, there's a lot. The, the This issue, the next issue, and the issue after that all have issues with this. And something very interesting, um, this story, the first story, uh, Last Fight for a Legionnaire, has an entirely fully drawn and inked missing page. I, I was curious about this because at one point, um, you know, they're all throwing down and starting to fight. And Superboy's like, whoa, 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 let me get my stretchy cape out, guys, and let me put an end to this. And then everybody gets mad at, at Superboy and Superboy's like, what did I do? I'm just trying to help. And then it just is like, OK, next day they're they're just uh, throwing down again, this time with yep. a plan. But but there's something in between that we missed. There is. What happens is after they, you know, take down, they are initially taken down by the Legion of Super Rejects. And they go through this whole thing where they're like, we'll see you tomorrow. We'll meet you here at 8 p.m. by the bell and we're going to fight where the principal can't see us. Karate Kid and Matter Eater Lad go off to the side and Matter Eater Lad is like, Superboy doesn't understand. And Matter Eater Lad says, I got beat up by a girl. Oh Maybe I should quit the team and let her take my place. At which point, Karate Kid is like, look, a Legionnaire doesn't have to always win, but he always fights. Don't you chicken out. And it's a great moment. And I understand why they took it out. Because it's a moment where they're telling Matter Eater Lad that he has to fight on and stay a Legionnaire in the issue where he leaves the freaking oh, team. He's he's going to die. Also, he's not gonna also die. should point out that the Karate Kid doesn't appear anywhere else except for this um, removed page or this deleted page. And, I think he appears well, no, in he, one of the crowd yeah, he shots. Does, he does briefly. appear in a crowd shot. He's one of the people that's standing next to uh, Superboy as they're getting ready for their final battle. Uh, yeah, and it should as also... often happens in these stories, there are a lot of Legionnaires who show up for a second yeah. and then just disappear. Yeah. It should also be pointed out that, uh, yes, indeed, uh, Karate Kid is looking more and more like Bruce Lee in that uh, missing page. Yes. And uh, in the letters page for either this issue or the next issue, Grell comes out and says, yes, it's specific. It's on purpose. I am homaging Bruce Lee. Well, that's good. See, I, I kind of suspected that. Uh, yep. In the last uh, last issue when we were talking, it was yeah, it was pretty clear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, so they go and they have a, their big fight. And uh, it's not that everybody has now learned their lesson on how to be a better fighter. It's they right. learned superhero 101. Right. The first rule of superheroing is never fight your own duplicate. Yeah, you go always and fight somebody fight else. Always fight your friend's duplicate and make them fight your duplicate. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, Magno... That, that's the first rule of superheroing, right after don't tug on Superman's cape and no starch in your outside shorts. So Yeah, so like Magno, Magno Lad and Cosmic Boy can't fight one another, but right. Magno Lad and um, Chameleon, um, Boy, Chameleon can Boy can fight each other. Yeah, so it makes yep. a lot of sense. And so they end up, again, it's not just that we're stronger... We're also smarter. So flash to the gif with the guy tapping his head and nodding at the at the screen. Yeah. And but. the only the only exception to that rule, because it's 1975 and sexist, is Matter Eater Lad beating the heck out of Calorie Queen. Uh, and I'm not I'm not 
I mean, well, it's not just... just that I love Calorie Queen because Calorie Queen is one of my favorite characters in a later era of the Legion. Of the Legion, it's just, mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, Sexist. because yeah, because Sexist. Uh, yeah, Sexist. yeah, and Esper Lass, uh, Cosmic Boy takes down Esper Lass because of all the iron in her body. Yep. Uh, but anyway, meanwhile, superheroes win because of teamwork, Stephen. Teamwork. Team yes, that's right. But meanwhile. Doctor Strange is meeting someone out at the spaceport with a special mission from the planet uh, Matter Eater Lad. Bismol. Yes, that's right. Bismol. Yeah. Capital Pepto. Why? Yes. Yeah. I don't know why the president looks like Doctor Strange. He's always kind of looked like Doctor Strange. Really? With the high high collar with all the mystic swirls all over the place? Yeah. The last time we saw him, he wasn't drawn by Mike Grell. Okay. He was drawn by Kurt Swan, but he had a high collar. This is President Kandro Boltax. Uh, you may remember him as he's the president that Universo pretended to be right. way back in the day when he created the Gulag, the Super Gulag right. of Space. He was also working uh, with was, the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica. Shut up. <laughs> he he uh, was around a couple, I want to say two or three issues ago. And there are some, you know, we'll have to talk about this when we get to it. There are some weirdnesses about his next few appearances. But Kendro Boltax, president of Earth, baby. So the uh, the Bismolian mm-hmm. uh, shows up and says, Matter Eater lad, you are hereby drafted. And so draft in 75, uh, Vietnam is roughly starting to wind down. But the draft has been in place in a long time. Uh, and the draft lottery has been in place since 1969. So we're, you know, eight years or I'm sorry, seven years uh, away from or out of uh, the draft being a thing. So it's interesting that uh, Shooter puts the draft in here. But instead of draft for military service, this is a draft for political office, which I find super fascinating where it's yeah. like it's like, oh, no. You're not being drafted to become a politician. You're being drafted to run as a representative. So he's going to go. He's one of the, you know, 10 candidates or whatever that have been selected. And then they will go and people will vote on that person. And then that person will become maybe someday president of Bismol. Which is actually, and they, they mention it, is what he was in the uh, future Legion tale. Yeah. Back in Adventure 354, according to the thing. But interestingly, this also does mention, and it makes it clear that those future Legion stories, as of 75, are still considered the canonical future of the Legion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which will become important in an issue or two vis-a-vis the uh, Chemical Paint- King situation. Yeah. Vis-a-vis painting ourselves into a corner. How do we get out of this? Also, <laughs> vis-a-vis, man, we don't know what to do with this kid. Man, uh, matter eater lad, we hardly knew ye. Well, we did hardly. I mean, he's been with the team for 15 years. He's His exit hurts more than Bouncing Boy to Why, me. because he's your favorite? No, because when it comes to the Legion, there are a lot of characters in the Legion who are, hey, it's Superboy. Hey, it's Girl Superboy. Hey, yeah. it's One at a Time Superboy. Yeah. Hey, it's Red Nehru Jacket Superboy. But Matter Eater Lad is one of those characters who comes from the era when the no duplicate powers rule led to some really weird stuff. Some wacky, wild, you know, kind of triplicate girls and bouncing boys and Matter Eater Lads. He is indicative of an era of the Legion that is officially gone at this point, but more importantly, an era that other teams never went through. Yeah. You don't have 
weird, crazy, wacky guy who can eat through anything in the Avengers or the Fantastic Four. You have a couple of them in the Justice League. You have a couple in the Justice Society. But even there, those guys like, you know, the Atom are kept around kind of out of a sense of tradition. The exiting of Matter Eater Lad really is the end of an era for this team in a lot of ways because... You know, I've said 15, 16, 17 times over the last 15 episodes, yep, the Bronze Age has officially started. The Silver Age is over. But this is really a moment that feels like something is happening. The Mm. the removal of Matter Eater Lad, especially coming hot on the heels of the death of Invisible Kid, and, you know, the things that are coming up with a couple of other Legionnaires, we are seeing a lot of upheaval in the team. And we're seeing, you know, the beginnings of a completely different era, even coming out of, you know, the Grell, out of the Cockrum era. We're starting to move into a different era of Legion after that. And it's it's sad. And I miss Tenzin. Well, I, and I don't know, because what was it? Matter Eater Lad, we haven't seen him since, what, like issue 184 or something? So it's almost been yeah. 20 issues that we haven't seen it's, him. And remember, you know, 20 issues of a bi-monthly title. Oh, no, that's four years. Yeah, it's forever. So he so, shows yeah. up only to exit. So let me guess. Uh, Micro Lad, Esper Lass, Phantom Lad, Micro Lad, the new Chameleon Kid, Calorie Queen, and Super Budinsky are never heard from again. They, they're they done. They got, they got beat. They walk back and carry on their lives with their tail between their legs, and we never see them again. All right. So let's cue the uh, National Lampoon's Vacation closing titles. Actually, no. It's actually Animal House. Animal the Animal House. House closing title. Micro Lad does show up later. There's a very important change for uh, down the line for Shrinking Violet because specifically of Microlad. He ends up in, I think, a couple of different versions of the Legion of Supervillains. Oh. Esperlas and um, the other guy with the face on his head. Magnolad show up. Okay. They both show up in Legion of Supervillains. Chameleon Kid and Mm -hmm. Phantom Lad are never heard from again. Never heard from course, again, because they made the ultimate sacrifice during this battle. Yeah, they're idiots. And then, of course, Senator and Mrs. Super Batinsky, uh, <laughs> Washington, D.C. Uh, so what about uh, what about Calorie Queen? Now that um, Matter Eater Lad is gone, it seems like Calorie Queen should be able to step up and take his place. It does, especially since she's more powerful than him. But I think trying to punch out the Legion really sours your ability for them to hire you immediately. Cal doesn't mm. show up again until the Volume 4 Legion, mm. when Matter Eater Lad actually shows up again. And Calorie Queen is his executive assistant. Mm. When Can't he beat leaves, him, join him. Yeah, when he leaves his senator uh, role to rejoin the Legion, Calorie Queen takes his role in the Bismolian Senate. Ah, see, there you go. And then she yep. helps overthrow it, just like in that movie about the wars and the stars. No, no, that's something different. A Death Stroke at Dawn, published October 1975, written by Jim Shooter with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis Cosmic Boy and Night Girl work together, but can their relationship survive? A Death Stroke at Dawn. Death Stroke? I hate that guy. <laughs> so uh, this issue, we get to see a team up between uh, Night Girl and uh, what is it? Shadow Lass. And this is really kind of interesting because, man, Night Girl loses her bun, her giant hair bun, and gains a super sexy costume in a highly erotic rape situation 
that goes on in this in this issue. I would not call it highly erotic, but it's definitely... No, I wouldn't say rape is erotic, but I was trying to say, oh, this is super sexy until it's not when you realize that she's essentially in a rape scene. All of the guys are wearing trunks and little pajama tops and yeah she, she's on her the floor new costume and... is basically a slingshot bathing suit with no back yeah and a very brief bottom and some boots and yeah i it keeps the owl symbol as the belt which i think is nice but it's also the only oh, thing i guess i wasn't looking at the belt steven i'm just saying it's just it's so hidden in most of the shots that you see her in that you really don't notice it unless you're looking yeah. Uh, the and other it thing that's a problem. A minor detail. Yeah. The other thing that's really a problem, if you don't believe me that this is kind of a weird rape scene, is that everyone's standing over her, and then there's this guy named Hunk, and he's got like this uh, bludgeon in his hand, and it looks like he's holding his erect penis. If you were to silhouette that entire scene, and then you've got uh, you've got this uh, guy, what's his name? This this group of uh, ne'er do wells saying, "Give it to her, Hunk." And he's like, a pleasure, boss. And it's like, whoa, that is, adds a little bit too much. Fortunately, though, they've got, uh, you know, so Night Girl is trapped because they got all the lights on in the building. Right. But Shadow Lass comes in and says, ha I will coat this room in darkness. And then Night Girl can go and kick their butts. Yeah. And Shadow Lass is nearly as naked as Night Girl in yes. a, you know, a different shaped black so, see-through bikini. There's an th- interesting thing going on in the 1970s. Um, it is the revenge film, right? Uh, and this usually, uh, not necessarily Billy Jack, although Billy Jack is kind of this way, but we see a lot of uh, movies that are trying to be empowering to women starting up in the 1970s, where the woman has been accosted and then she goes around and she... Uh, kills or gets revenge on all of her, uh, all of yep. the people that have attacked her. Um, that's avenging angel. Yeah. The avenging angel type stuff. I mean, that's all well and good as, as far as people who are trying to create these women as, as empowering uh, people as heroes, taking down the bad guys. Unfortunately, uh, most of these movies start with the woman being inc- uh, raped in an incredibly lengthy scene. Uh, to really degrade her. And also most of these movies are written by men. So there's there's problems with that. But I see that same kind of thing here where you have the team up of the two women, uh, which should be very empowering because, hey, this is the perfect combination of their powers working together. Mm-hmm. But it's basically via a giant assault scene. Yeah, it's interesting that you mention that because both of our notes have the same thing. Cosmic Boy, why is he watching a Charles Bronson film? <laughs> Charles Bronson's Death Wish yes. uh-huh. is a good example of this movie because Charles Bronson's character in Death Wish loses his, I think, his wife and his daughter yeah. over the course of several yes. movies, but at least loses his wife to these criminals yes. who do sexually assault her. Right. And then he, you know, goes nuts and starts killing everybody. Yeah. And it's interesting that. First of all, the legend of Charles Bronson has gone on for a thousand I mean, years. Okay, so we went He's from clearly got a frap gun we, there. So, so ladies and gentlemen, we have gone film. we have gone from uh, women empowerment story revenge film to Charles Bronson. Maybe we should explain a little bit about what's happened in between and why uh, why uh, uh, Shadow Lass is out on her own instead of uh, hanging out with her beau. <laughs> well, they broke up, man. Why did they break and- up? They had a fight and they broke up. Why did they have they, a fight? Uh, it's a whole schmageggy. No, it's not. They essentially double down on misogyny because <laughs> it's supposed to be 
uh, Cosmic Boy's night off. And Shadow Lass is like, look, I'm going to go and patrol. And he's like, how dare you? I work all the time. And the one night that I have off, we can't go out. You can't take time off. We're through, woman. I'll go find this girl. Uh, what's her name? Cindy, Cindy. And I will go and take her to the latest Bronson flick. So, Death Wish 5. So uh, Cosmic Boy, this is almost the exact same language that we saw a couple of uh, episodes ago. When uh, two other people were going to break up and I forget who it was. It wasn't Starboy and, and uh, uh, Dream Girl. Um, I forget who it was, but it's basically the exact same situation. It's my night off. You don't have time to spend with me, uh, you know, off with you, woman. I have no time for someone who doesn't want to idolize me as the as the male alpha male of our relationship. And then so he goes on this crazy date with Cindy where he watches uh, Charles Bronson beat up a whole bunch of people. Uh, meanwhile. Um, he ends up having to get saved by Shadow Lass. He does. and Or not Shadow Lass, Night, Night, Girl, Night, Night Girl. Girl. Sorry, got the two relationships mixed up. It is very difficult to keep Shadow Lass and Night Girl, you know, because both names are yeah. uh, an adjective right. and a word to describe a woman. Right. They have very similar, I mean, they're synonymous, essentially. Night and Shadow, kind of the same thing. But... The thing to remember is that Night Girl is almost completely naked. Shadow Lass is almost completely naked. But, but she's blue. blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And plus and with their new looks, they kind of do look somewhat similar. But I mean, it's, I don't know. Um, the idea is this gang that has been rescued is going to go and hunt down Cosmic Boy and, and take care of him. Give him the the what for. But then at the last minute, Night Girl shows up to try to uh, to help out. And uh, then that causes Cosmic Boy to realize the error of his ways and realize that I've loved Linda all along. Maybe we should and be back to g- together, girl. She's like, oh, yes, Dreamboat, let's you and I fly off into the, the morning light. Not until Hunk slaps her in the face. And this isn't, you know, we've talked about the, the hidden misogyny. Night Girl <laughs> is physically Cosmic yeah. Boy's superior. She is more powerful than him. She is superhumanly strong. But she has to be humbled in these pages in order yes. for him to flip out and beat up the guys that she couldn't right. and then carry her away. And it's, right. it's it's very 1975. I know what they were going for. I mean, it is it may be the most successful romantic story thus far oh, in boy. Legion history. No, I think the Starboy um, Dream Girl relationship is a lot more powerful. But this is a very solid individual romance tale I don't, in I don't, terms of I what you I don't think so. I really don't. I really find this nothing but problems. I mean, uh, if you saw a girl that you were kind of like sweet on or something, Matthew, some girl right. that you were like, oh, she's a hubba hubba. And then you saw her boyfriend treating her like that. You'd be like, girl, you don't need to be with him. That guy is nothing for you. And then they get back together and you just shake your head going, what the heck? He hasn't learned anything and she hasn't learned anything. No, this is... This is, this is, this is not a good story. This has got implied rape. It's got, uh, uh, the degradation of women. It's got a man who doesn't respect a woman. And this is women's lib times in the seventies, women's lib. And then you've got this story. This is not a, this is not an empowering story for women. It seems like it on the front when you have uh, shadow lass and night girl teaming up, this could be like, yeah, pow, let's work our powers together. And then it turns out to not pass the Becknell test at all. I think that you are being very harsh on the story. And I think that 
if you take it, first of all, you know, we, we've been looking at these in the context of 1970, whatever. If you take into account the overt references to Death Wish, if you take into account the fact that this is clearly a, you know, a victim vigilante revenge type story where Cosmic Boy realizes the feelings he has for her after being a jerk. But rather than admit I was a jerk, he has to beat up the bad guys and carry her away into the sunset. I feel like this is very much a juvenile, but a successful story in terms of just trying to deliver the romance. If you look at things, you know, we go back to the pulp novels. There's a lot of stupid stuff in those pulp novels where he's, you know, you'll slap a girl across the face and she'll be like, I'm sorry, Nick, and everything will be fine. I feel like this story is trying trying to show Cosmic Boy in a new light, trying to see that Cosmic Boy does have feelings for this woman, that Cosmic Boy knows he has feelings for this woman, and now he has to recognize it. I do agree with you that the overall output, especially 45 years later, does not hold up. But I feel like it's successful in making you think, aw, he really does love her. Well, it's only because Cindy is so... um not not very Awful. intelligent so yeah. well cindy is dumb as a bag of hammers and that's yeah. fine he's magnetic yeah. he can move the hammers around uh yeah no i, I think i'm gonna have to disagree with you and, and that's fine uh about the romance angle of this because it just is like it's it just is it feels can like we? we are watching an episode we are watching greece and in the end it's yes. not about it's not about uh danny realizing that uh he needs to live up to sandy's expectations it's that the only way sandy's going to get uh, uh danny is if she dresses all like a slut and uh and wears provocative clothes and that right. isn't Ch- the message that i think change everything about you to yes. get the man that you want yes exactly I would and agree that's with a, you. not I a good Greece message isn't- Greece is an excellent choice here because I feel like the same sort of message is coming across. Mm -hmm. It's definitely distorted and it's definitely coming through a lens of, well, this sure did seem cool in 1975, but they're trying to do something here. And I think that if nothing else, I think we can agree that we missed the beehive. Uh, no, because I, I, I mean, I like the new look. It does make her look much older than she does with the hair up. But here's the one thing that I liked about this issue is we do get a flashback to uh, Night Girl's origin story. And mm-hmm. they purposefully, and again, this is the thing, the father, I really wanted a boy, but your mom died. So that's not going to happen. So I'm going to have to inject you with all the superpowers I would have given my son. Uh, but in that flashback sequence... She's wearing her original costume and has the original hair. And I found that to be a super nice touch in an otherwise problematic issue. Yep. And she does actually lament that boys don't like the idea of a girl being so much stronger than them. Yeah. It's another example of they're trying question mark. They're trying to address the fact that, yeah, it would be tough to be superhumanly strong, especially if you were stronger than your partner. I just don't feel like the finished product. No. This this is comic book feminism 101. This is, hey, let's you know build this up. Look how strong and how powerful she is. And okay, now Cosmic Boy is going to bail her out. Super 
Superboy number 213, The Jaws of Fear. Published December 1975, written by Jim Shooter with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis, a master thief sets his sights on the miracle machine. The Jaws of Fear, in Uh, which uh, we are introduced to Ben Perez, or Paris, or Pars, the greatest boogerler in the galaxy. I'm sorry, the greatest what? The greatest burglar in the galaxy. He's going to burgle. He's the greatest burglar in the galaxy. And he's going to burgle. Not not boogler. Boogler would be someone who's (laughs) juggling nose candy. No, it's it's burglar. And this story is great because it has a big splash page with a space dinosaur cutting straight to the Legion of Superheroes in The Last Supper. What yeah, you know, I noticed that too, heck? and I don't. And that's the first thing that crossed my mind was, oh, that's an interesting uh, Last Supper kind of reference. Except that they're missing a couple of people that should have been drawn in, and maybe they were asked to be taken out uh, when someone looked at this <laughs> and says, "Well, this offends my Christian values uh, to have to have a gr- to have a green alien to be your Messiah." That really offends me. Um, but no, I it's, don't it's totally think that, that anybody noticed. I think that Grell was oh, entertaining no. himself. I guarantee you everybody noticed this. I guarantee you everybody recognized this. <laughs> I'm not okay with it. I think that it's ridiculous, but Why I is also it ridiculous? love the fact that, well, first of all, it's the Legion of Superheroes. They're future teenagers. And if there's nothing, it, you know how I feel about the actual use of real religions and real traditions and you know real things that mean things to people in the comic book stories i feel like it demeans the the traditions and really messes with the comic but i feel like the legion is the last place that you're going to make a you know a biblical reference this is I, and you know, so shiny happy future i know things. this is we're beyond all of all of this religion and such and i see where you're we're coming doing I see where you're Science coming from on that, future. but from the artist side of things, um, homaging Michelangelo, whether you're doing the Paeta, no, not the Paeta, <laughs> not the Paeta, the Pieta. No, Paeta. Yeah, the Pieta. Yeah, that's what Paella it is. is whether whether you're doing whether you're doing that on the cover of a uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, kind of riff, uh, or whether you're doing the Last Supper, uh, I think that's more of an homage to the masters rather than, Hey, look, I'm making a religious reference here. Although there are many, you know, in today's world, we do find a lot of artists who are intentionally putting in anti-religious content and sentiment into their art and into their background that later backfires on them. But I guess I I looked at this and then that was, I didn't put this in my notes because uh, I was like, well, it's probably not really worth diving into uh, but I recognized it right away as, oh, this is uh, Michelangelo's The Last Supper. It's not The Last Supper. It's Michelangelo. And so my thought was, OK, this is somebody homaging the art, not making a commentary on religion, because I really don't think that anyone is sitting there. I don't think Grell or Shooter are sitting there saying, oh, well, you know, really, Brainiac is the the messiah of this story. Right. Because if they were going to do that, it would clearly be Superboy in the middle. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway. The burglar comes in. And he's like, that's what I said. The burglar is coming in and he's like, hey, you crazy cats. I'm going to steal your miracle machine in 24 hours. Sketch pad. Because he looks he again looks like a cross between Sonny Bono and um, and Charles Bronson. How could you know my name? I've never been caught. Never left a clue. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I do like that. Uh, so Ben, ben there, Perez. Yeah, there is a there's a uh, in in Japan there's a popular character called Lupin the Third, one of the greatest you know uh, thieves of all time. And I just uh, coincidentally, before I had read this issue, I had rewatched Castle of Caliestro uh, again. And in that, uh, Lupin is sending a card saying, I am going to commit these crimes in the next 24 hours, or I'm going to do these things as kind of a taunt to, uh, to the authorities, right? Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't surprise me, and I don't know what the state of Lupin is in the United States in the 1970s. I think people would be a little bit aware of who Lupin is. Uh, but, um, this feels like a very Lupin stunt, right? Just to announce I'm the greatest burglar of art all time. And to prove it, I'm letting you know in advance that there's nothing you can do to, uh, keep me from stealing your miracle machine, miracle machine, Matthew, we know about the miracle machine. We do know about the miracle machine. The miracle machine allows you to do anything in the world. It's the literal deus ex machina given to the Legion by the controllers back in the adventure comics days. And, it has shown up at least once as the answer to a ridiculous problem. Oh, it, that I the think Legion this is has. like the third or fourth time we've seen the miracle machine uh, in fourth. action. You want to say fourth? Okay. I, I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure, um, the Legion, uh, what's his name? Legion Omicron. That's Legion Omicron. We know you're out there, buddy. Uh, I'm sure Help he will. Out. I'm sure he will tell us how many appearances the miracle machine has made prior to this. I think it's three. You think it's four. He'll probably tell us like, no dudes, it's like 10. What are, you guys need to be paying attention more. <laughs> it is definitely not 10. So here's the deal in the year 29, 25, 25. I don't remember. Well, the miracle machine first showed up. The controllers gave it to the Legion in what adventure 365. It was a while like ago. That. Yeah. And then there was the, uh, I want to say that they just used it. Not yeah, there was not, ago, not that long ago issue. with, um, with, um, you know, half robot, half, uh, man, man, um, Tharok Johnson. Yeah. yeah. They rock Johnson, a uh, little bit of his bit bumped up against the miracle machine, but uh, this thing's been encased in a neutron, um, ever Did since. Ultra boy use it to heal some sick legionnaires. Maybe not that long ago. It feels huh. like that wasn't that long. So we'll, ago. we'll find out third or fourth. It doesn't okay. really matter at this point because, uh, between, uh, ultra boy and Superboy, they're able to crack open the inertron, peel it back and discover, Oh no, the machine's still here. It hasn't been stolen at all. But in order to prevent Mr. Mr. Burglar from stealing everything, <laughs> stop saying that word burglar. They decide to destroy it. Yes, yes they decide friends, to destroy it before Mr. Burglar the steals The Legion it. of Superheroes believe that the only way to protect the Miracle Machine was to annihilate uh, uh, it. Honestly, uh, it is something that I think is probably the smartest choice that a bunch of teens have ever made. Uh, I, I think that this is the most dangerous weapon in the entire universe, and I'm surprised that their base, their headquarters... Uh, is not constantly under attack from people who want to get this because this is, and I'm surprised the government hasn't stepped in and said, Oh no, we need to take care of this. You teenagers are too, uh, are too immature. You're not responsible enough to take care of this machine because literally it is the single greatest weapon in the entire DC universe. Yeah. And it is a deus ex machina. It's a, it's a plot device gone horribly wrong. And we see that here because the Legionnaires, Lightning Lad, Sunboy, Wildfire, Ultra Boy, and Superboy unleash all the energies at their command and utterly fail to scratch it. Yeah. So I mean, uh, that's so up. the plan is 
um, I don't know. Oh, they have to go track down Ben at his secret headquarters. Ben the burglar. Yes. They're going to go and track him down. Burglar. That's what I and said. The burglar. All they know. All they know is that Saturn girl read his mind. He's in sector 14 behind strange white gates. Right. And when they go out there into those strange white gates, they discover a space dragon. It's a great space. It's actually it's an the, axolotl. It's the I'm fearful. No, it's not. It's not an axolotl. It is the It is the fearful galactosaur. It's Ollie from Kukla, Fran and Ollie. I would go with that. It's what happens and when you feed your dinosaur after midnight. Exactly. It gets huge. And then uh, the world's greatest burglar, yeah, the, ben the burglar takes up residence in his mouth. Yeah, he's got his he's got his whole entire space capsule hooked to the jaws of, yep. of this great uh, beast. But unfortunately, they brought Jonah with them on this trip. That's right. And you as not they... take Jonah anywhere, but especially not down the gullet of a giant space creature. He starts freaking out. And he's like, no, I can't stand it. Get me out of here. He's having a flashback, man. He's having a flashback. And space uh, flashbacks. Superboy has been left behind in case Ben the yeah. Burglar shows up. Yeah, because that makes perfect sense. I mean, you Leaves know, Superboy behind. He's the only guy that could probably defeat anybody. He's the greatest uh, super of them all, right? And Superboy's like, oh, oh, that rotten Ben the He's Burglar. shaking his hand I into wish, space. I wish I had my hands on that rotten frassum, frassum, frassum. And then, bada bing, there he is, right there in Superboy's hands. How is this possible? How did, they, how did they survive the giant beast? Well, it turns out Ultra Boy conquered his fear and is holding up the jaws long enough for Superboy to finally fly out and save everybody's. And Ben Perez was teleported into Superboy's hands ben, and because the miracle machine was actually on. Who's Ben Perez? He's the greatest burglar. The greatest in the burglar galaxy. of the galaxy. Yeah. He's yeah. a burglar. Yeah, the burglar. But, but the miracle machine. Yeah. When they hit it with all of their force. Yeah. Turned it on. You'd that's think that all. something would light up. You'd think something, some on something would say, "Hey, this yeah. machine's on. May I grant your fondest wish?" Because what if no, you're just it's sitting there? A black light under a black label with yeah, black but if, writing. But, if, but what if you're just sitting black. there going, "I wish for all the money in the galaxy." Now yeah, this thing doesn't work. Did you turn it on? I don't know how to turn it on. Punch it. Yeah. That's womp, why it's solo. It's it is a it is a throwaway little dumb story. It is, although it does have a couple of interesting, stupid questions. Okay, question, dumb question number, one. number one. How do you pronounce burglar, Matthew? No, that's not a stupid <laughs> question. That is, in fact, a, a question of taxonomic nomenclature. Uh, no, question number one. When Ultra Boy wishes out into space and is almost going to die to save his friends, yes. why can't Wildfire go out into space? Because he's been he punched out. His, he's he been doesn't need a out. suit, though. He does, he's been knocked out. Ultra Boy in his... And his mad rage has been punching everybody on the ship. How do you punch a bag of sentient energy out? All I right. don't, I don't know, but you see, he's punching Ultra Boy, and old, and uh, and Wildfire uh, is falling back on uh onto the control panel. So I'm going to bet that he got knocked out. Stupid question number two. Okay. A couple of episodes ago. Yeah. The Legion deputy leader Sunboy. Yeah. Was leading the team. In this issue, Legion deputy leader Brainiac Five. Is part of the squad that goes to find Ben Perez. Yeah. Did we the greatest miss burglar an election? in the galaxy? No, for deputy for deputy leader. No, if you were if you were hiring supreme leader, then that would require an election. This is just deputy leader. It's like, hey, right. me as upper management, I'm going out of town to a convention, a space convention, out on they, the uh, planet Bismol to go see how our friend is doing. In my absence, I'm going to appoint uh, a Brainiac Five. 
as the but they've deputy leader. That the deputy leader is a standing position given to the legionnaire who gets the second amount of votes in the legion leadership election. Uh, who was the last person to have it? You said. Uh, it, well, the current leader is Monel. Sunboy mm-hmm. was Monel's deputy a couple of minutes ago, mm-hmm. and now it's Brainiac. I think and it's. I, a, think I think it's at the whim. Sunboy might have quit. Do you want to know the in comics <laughs> reason? Do you want to know yes. the the actual reason, or do you want to know the other reason? Let's see if you can do what I do. Give me the in comics reason. Uh, Monel was just uh-huh. like, "Look, you made me mad off panel, so now I'm taking this position away from you, and I'm giving it to the other guy." You okay. can't do anything about that. What's the out of comics reasoning? The out of comics reasoning is racism. <laughs> Xenophobia. Against Sunboy? No, against uh, Brainiac 5. It's but like Brainiac look, 5 was given Sunboy's job. How I know, right? Because Monel had to go up to Sunboy and say, look, we're both white guys. Let's recognize our white privilege and realize that by not putting Brainiac 5 as our deputy, we're being horrible racists. And then Sunboy's like, you know what? I agree with you. We've all learned a valuable lesson. Suddenly up in the sky, a rainbow star appeared. And then that is how Brainiac 5 became deputy, uh, Ed, deputy leader. Right. So what's now the you, real reason? <laughs> Shooter just doesn't know how to write comics. <laughs> Shooter forgot. <laughs> Shooter forgot. <laughs> the real reason is always going to be Shooter forgot. Even if yeah. Shooter didn't write the story, yeah. we're going to decide that Shooter forgot. Now that I think about uh, it, Ben the Burglar mm-hmm. looks a heck of a lot like... Um, Smokey and the Bandit. I can see that. Yeah, I was going to say he looks a little like Dick Giordano, but Dick Giordano isn't DC's editor-in-chief yet at this point. I think so Burt I Reynolds know. is who he looks like. I'm going to go with Burt Reynolds. Reynolds. All right, so that that's that story. Trapped to live, <laughs> free to die. Free to be you and me. Wild, uh, uh, Wildcat, not Wildcat. Um, Timberwolf. Timberwolf, I'm sorry. Uh, Wolverine. Here's a distress signal on a distant planet, and he goes and he checks it out, and he finds this guy uh, trapped. Look out, trapped. dude. Didn't you recognize that this was Black Mace? You remember Black Mace, don't you, Matthew? I do remember Black Mace from Adventure number 374. 374, Black Mace. Oh, if only Timberwolf would have remembered Black Mace as well. Well, Timberwolf wasn't in Adventure 374, so what? you got to give him credit. So, shall we explain the uh, in-comics reason why he remembers that this is Black yes. Mace? All right, I'll tell so... you the in-comics reason. Okay. The in-comics reason why Timberwolf remembers Black Mace. In the very first lines of this episode, it, issue, he's like, one of the things they drummed into our head in the Legion Academy, he is a diligent student. He has been studying the visit the tapes. files, yeah. And okay. he knows the Black Mace files backwards and forwards. Not well enough to recognize him at face value. Yeah. But as soon as he gets hit in the face with a black mace, he's like, could oh, yeah, this black be mace. black mace? Yeah. Okay, so what's the out-of-comics reason? The out-of-comics reason is simpler. Timberwolf was actually injured an issue or two before Adventure 374. Uh-huh. And so he was in the infirmary and would not remember black mace on site. But he does remember hearing from his friends oh, that from this everybody. crazy thing happened. Okay, and then the, know, real the real reason, reason is... Uh, shooter yeah, forgot. Shooter forgot. Which is the which is the biggest problem that I have with both of these issues this this uh, week, because the one thing that I'm in addition to uh, showing the flashback of um, uh, Night Girl is that they are really cranking up the editor's note saying, "Hey, Black Mace last appeared in Adventure Comics uh, 374," and it's like, "Great, 
But then you forgot that Timberwolf wasn't even in the issue. Right. Well, you know, there are 27,000 Legionnaires. I guess. Anyway, Black Mace wants to steal the ship and get away and go blow up Legion headquarters or some ridiculous kind of thing. And he's like, "Ah, I'm going to kill you here and take your ship. And Timberwolf is like, no, wait, you don't understand. My ship is protected with secret codes and and flips and switches. And if you don't say 23 Skidoo, it's going to blow up on you. And Black Mace is stroking his beard and going, "Mm hmm. (laughs) He's bald from the waist up. Oh, would you like to hear the uh, in comics reason why he's bald? The out of comics reason why he's bald? Or would you? like to hear the real reason why he's bald i don't want to hear any reason why black mace has no body hair because (laughs) he steals not only steals timberwolf's ship he takes his legion flight ring and timberwolf is like oh wait only i know the codes and black mace is like oh well i'll take you along and then i'll kill you with a stick and he's like oh no so timberwolf gets behind the wheel of the legion ship and boom all of a sudden it attacks him and it puts him in a bubble you know, like John Travolta, because it's making him as an attacker. But Black Mace is like, now I'm going to hit you with a stick. But all he does is crack the bubble. And then Timberwolf is like, I'm going to leap out, by the way. The Timberwolf backflip out of that bubble. Yeah, man, it's uh, totally a fastball special. It's beautiful. You know, Grell, we've talked about Grell has some wonky anatomy, but that's a solid looking shot. And it's really well drawn. And pow, Timberwolf kicks him right in the breadbasket. And then he's like, ah, I punch you. And Timberwolf's like, no, I'm stronger than you. You're stupid and dumb and also stupid. And also you're wearing my flight ring, so I'm going to telekinetically throw you at the season. Wonk. Klong. His head hits the roof. Timberwolf saves the day. Uh, You know, resuming normal operation. Turns out that it's not any kind of code that you have to push in that, that sends off the security alarm. The ship senses whoever's not wearing the flight ring and tries to take control of the ship. That's who must yep. be the bad guy. And so that's why Timberwolf got encased in the bubble. That is a nice little bit of continuity. And I cannot wait for the first time it gets ignored. Next and it's issue. probably going to be like a minute, minute and a half. Yeah. Next issue. So this is one of, another one of those, those great ideas that just is not workable. Yeah. This is another one of those issues where we end up with, um, uh, you know, a single Legion uh, story like we saw with Bouncing Boy a few uh, episodes ago. And we've seen with others. Uh, it's nice. It's a nice little toss away um, story that you can just enjoy and say, "Ooh, look how cool Timberwolf is!" Uh, because shooters like, "Yeah, this is totally my uh, character that I didn't create," and and uh, I'm I'm putting in all these Wolverine references to make Cockrum really mad. Wolverine doesn't exist yet. He does, but would you like to know the incontinuity reason why Timberwolf Wolverine's doesn't exist? Wolverine's head, as shown in the Wolverine stories, it looks like this, does not exist yet. No, I'm no longer going to listen to any of your reindeer games. By the way, are you sure that Jim Shooter didn't create Timberwolf? I don't know, because I really don't pay attention. Would you like to know the inc- incontinuity reason why I don't know if he created him or not? The uh, out of continuity reason. Yeah, Shooter forgot. That's that's the reason. It should be noted that, no, he didn't. Timberwolf dates way, way back to the Hamilton Fort days in Adventure Comics back in 64, when he was known as the Lone Wolf. <laughs> Initially. Ow, now, ow, technically, ow. He's, his first codename was One Wolf, but he borrowed an L from Laverne DeFazio. That brings us to the end of another Legion Clubhouse this week. And Matthew, what did we learn this week? We learned the in-universe reason why Black Mace is shaved from the waist up. It all burned off when he crashed his ship on planet... What's-his-name? I think the out-of-comics reason that we learned this week 
is because he knew that it was Timberwolf that was coming his way and he wanted to disguise himself, he shaved it all off using Razor from Harry's.com slash Critical Hit. And of course, the real reason that Black Mace is shaved from the waist up, uh, Stephen was very, very jealous. Yeah. Thanks for joining us this week, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next time. And until then, I'm Burglar Man. And I'm Nice Chicken Man. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.